Welcome. Church of the Advent is an Anglican congregation in Denver, Colorado, that seeks to share in the life of God by redefining and reorienting everything around the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope you are challenged, encouraged, and move closer toward the gospel by this week's message. Good evening. Good to see you all. Ash Wednesday, in a word, is honest. It's very honest. In a moment, you will receive ashes on your forehead, and I will, or Cindy will, impose the ashes on your head with these words, remember that you are dust, and to dust you will return. Why? Why do we do this? Tish Warren Harrison summarizes well. She says, I don't want to face the reality of vulnerability, my own or of those I love. I ignore it altogether for months on end. I distract myself from weakness, from the dark howl of suffering and mortality. Check Facebook, get really busy, read Twitter, get distracted by the current controversy of the moment. Check Facebook again, focus on the positive. And into my false reality of invulnerability and control and easy amusement, in a world of noise, of Pinterest perfectionism, where we who are privileged can be sated with creature comforts and endless entertainment. I can't think of anything more needed than Ash Wednesday. A day to face our vulnerability without a filter, without distraction, and without Novocaine. In other words, Ash Wednesday reminds us that sooner or later, the sun on our life will set, like the sun does every night over the front range. It puts its hands on our heads and it pulls our gaze off of our phones, off of our shows, off of our kids, off of our books and blogs, and it puts them on this truth. Death is coming. We are mortal. In the words of the psalmist, as for man and women, their days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, and then the wind passes over it, and it's gone. And its place remembers it no more. So then the question arises, if I am going to die, how should I live? How should I live? Put it another way, so long as I have breath in my lungs, what will I treasure? Our heart is like a, it's like a rudder on a ship. Our hearts direct the small turns of our lives, this way and that. And these small turns of our lives end up being our life's destination. So the question before us again is this, since I'm going to die, what am I living for? Where is my heart taking me? Short of some, um, you know, course correction along the way, our hearts misguide us. The Bible is very clear. The heart is, in the words of George MacDonald, C.S. Lewis's mentor, he said, the heart is a cankered thing a prey to the vilest diseases. The basic symptom of a diseased heart is that we, just, we tend to drift towards what is fleeting, especially the classic idols of money, of strength in ourself, food, um, fame. And then the psalmist, after reminding us that our lives are as fleeting as a summer wildflower, the psalmist goes on to suggest the eternal treasure, the lasting treasure towards which we were made to sail. He says, but the steadfast love of the Lord is everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Now, in Matthew 6, Jesus invites us, we just heard it read, he invites us into the classic disciplines of Lent, the disciplines of almsgiving, giving to the needy and the poor, prayer and fasting. Why? These practices are ways of helping the kind of the rudder of our life, the ship of our lives, um, 
steering them away from what is so fleeting that we so constantly go to for comfort and nourishment and dependence and a little bit away from that towards the eternal treasure of God's steadfast love. Now, did you notice in Matthew 6, it's maybe hard to notice when you're just hearing, but if you read, you really notice how Jesus, for each of the disciplines, follows the exact same form. First, it begins by saying, when you give or pray or fast, not if. It says, when you do, and the assumption is that you already are doing these things because you already know that you need them to help your heart turn towards Christ. So he says, when you do, and then he goes on to give a counterexample right away in each situation. The hypocrite. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. The word hypocrite comes from the Greek word for play actor. So it's a a Greek play actor who puts on a mask and performs in front of an audience and plays different roles to get the audience to cheer for them. Then the invitation to the disciplines then has to come with this warning. Don't play at piety. Don't play act this Lent. Um, The acclaim of the crowd is the only reward you can expect from making a public show of piety. And of course... Um, religious types like me have to be extremely aware of this. Um, this, is not a, this is not a play thing we're doing. Instead, Jesus goes on, and his, his disciples, in contrast to the play actors, are to give and to pray and to fast, not in front of a crowd, but in secret. In secret. For each discipline, he says, in secret. So when you give, don't, left, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Or when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Look healthy. Don't let everyone know you're fasting. So then Jesus is inviting us to consider the the disciplines themselves that we've just named, but also the way that the disciplines are to be done. So very quickly, just the disciplines themselves. Why give money away? Why give to the poor? Giving is an embodied way to resist our tendency to drift towards the treasure of wealth. All of us drift that direction. All of us do. And unless we resist, we will. The current will take us there. Giving alms, it's not just an expression of God's love and concern for the poor, although it is that, definitely. It is also a redirection of our heart. Giving alms nudges the heart to sail towards the true treasure of Christ's generous and steadfast love for us. Why do we give? That's why. Why do we pray? Why do we pray to our Father? Because prayer is an embodied way, it is an embodied act of faith, that resists our tendency to drift towards self-sufficiency and control and pride, and I've got it figured out. All of us will drift that direction. Prayer nudges the heart to set sail for the true treasure of the Lord's steadfast love. And lastly, why do we fast? We fast because fasting is an embodied way of resisting our tendency to drift towards treasuring food and comfort and pleasure. All of us will drift that direction. So fasting teaches us to set sail for the true treasure, the true food of Christ's steadfast love. The question remains, when the sun sets on our lives, on my life, on your life, tomorrow, the next day, 50 years from now, what is my wealth and my strength and my food, what is it good for? These things are fleeting as summer wildflowers. Beautiful, yes, and good for a time, but here today and gone tomorrow. But the steadfast love of the Lord is everlasting to everlasting. So you are going to die. That's the sobering reminder of Ash Wednesday. You are dust. What will you treasure then while you live? What will you give your heart to? So you're invited to fast. I've invited you to consider fasting every Friday, one to two meals on Friday. Um, we're going to have a mid-Lent kind of um, potluck breakfast breakfast. So I would invite you to fast on one to two meals on Friday and then join us for that. 
you're invited to sign up. We heard this beautiful word of Isaiah. What is the kind of fast the Lord has chosen? Justice, right? And we have a QR code back there, or the link is in the email. These daily engagements sent from the Matthew 25 initiative, which is the Anglican Church in North America's Justice and Mercy Ministry, and it'll give you all kinds of prayer prompts. We focused on the least of these and God's heart for the least of these. I'm going to be looking for a way that we or I and maybe we can give and support um, refugees fleeing Ukraine. So look for ways to be praying for and connecting the, God's love for justice with your fasting. You're invited to join in morning prayer every Tuesday and Thursday. We have morning prayer. Maybe this is a good time to try begin praying morning prayer on your own. There's a, there's a family version that's much shorter, if that's your cup of tea. Just look for, identify some ministry or person close to your heart you can be generous with and pray for. Lent is the perfect season to begin some of that. So those are the disciplines themselves, but also Jesus teaches us how they should be done, namely in secret. Now we have to say this. Private piety is not good by default any more than public piety is bad by default. Jesus very clearly prayed in public. He healed in public. He did ministry in public. So it's not saying never do anything in public. The point is one of your motivation. Where is your heart this Lent? And this emphasis on secrecy is really leading to this question. By exhorting us to pray and fast and and give in secret, Jesus insists on tying the disciplines to our heart. Because giving and praying and fasting are not meritorious acts of piety. We have to be really careful here. As Anglicans with high religious sensibilities, you know, we have to be careful that these are not things we're doing to earn some sort of superior status before God or salvation at all. Friends, if you trust Christ, if you've placed your trust in him, you are forgiven, you are clean, you are the righteousness of God. You cannot be any more beloved than you already are. If you fasted every day for the rest of your life and gave all of your money away, God would not love you any more than he already does. Rather, by these disciplines, we gradually learn to treasure what Christ treasures, which is our own good. It leads to our own flourishing. The wealth, the strength, the food of the Father's steadfast love. That's the point of the Lenten disciplines. So give and pray and fast in secret. I dare you this Lent to cultivate some secrets with God. Do you have any secrets with God? Maybe even from your spouse if you're married? In Arnold Lobel's story, I'm not positive that's how you pronounce his name, but he writes this classic book about the frog and the toad. Have any of you seen this or read this? In one chapter, the surprise, frog and toad are great friends, and they wake up in the morning and both of their lawns are covered in leaves. And in a sweet kind of coincidence, they decide to go over to the other one's house to clean up the other, the other one's leaves. So frog goes to toad's house, toad goes to frog's house. And they each work very hard for a long time on cleaning up their friend's lawn. But on their way home, unbeknownst to either one of them, a windstorm comes and scatters and undoes all their work. So when Frog and Toad return home, there's no sign of their friend's hard work at all. And yet, each of them goes to bed delighted and satisfied and happy, thinking of how happy the other will be to find his lawn tidied. Frog and Toad were not trying to merit one another's approval. They were just simply caring for a friend. I don't know if you've ever thought about Jesus as your friend, but Jesus very clearly says he's your friend. And if you kind of read the the Gospels through this lens of the humanity of Jesus, and you see how he's actually wanting his disciples' presence with him, 
So for example, at the Passover, he says, how often I have eagerly desired to eat this meal with you. Jesus wants friends. He wants your company. He loves you and treasures you. Jesus, your friend, loves you and what joy there is in you loving him in return, secretly, selflessly, raking the leaves from his yard, you know, in prayer, in fasting, in giving. Cultivate some secrets with Jesus this Lent. So friends, I invite you to authentically enter these disciplines as a way of cooperating with the Lord's desire to set your heart on course to discover and enjoy the everlasting treasures of his love. I invite you to enter these disciplines gently, not in a spirit of legalism or obligation. You have permission to fail. You have permission to be in process. You have permission to not be the final product. God is not going to grade you at the end of Lent. A successful Lent is an authentic Lent. Don't bring public piety or pretense to the season. Just bring your heart to him. Reflecting on the disciplines of Lent, Jan Richardson's poem summarizes, I think, the invitation of this season, which is to return to the Lord and his steadfast love. She writes this. Remember, you were built for this. The ancient path inscribed upon your bones the persistent pattern echoing in your heartbeat. Let this be the season you turn your face toward the one who calls you. Return, return. Let this be the day you open wide your arms to the wind that knows how to bear you home and knows how to bear you to the hidden treasures of his steadfast love. In the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We encourage you to take a moment to reflect on what God might be saying to you through what you just heard. For questions, additional information, and resources, please visit adventdenver.com.